it's showtime. Welcome to episode four. I think that's where we're at of the Rabbit Weasel podcast, where we talk about horror movies each episode. I'm your host, Jared. I am a super horror dork, I guess is the word we'll go with this week. I'm joined <laughs> by my brother, Justin, and my sister-in-law, Mia. Uh, Mia, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well today. It's Friday, so it's the weekend, so I'm pretty yeah. excited. Yeah, it's, uh, as usual, we're in completely different sides of the world, yeah. so it's <laughs> morning here. Uh, Justin, how are you doing? We're doing pretty good. Um, having a good week as well. Mia and I have both been quite busy this week, but dipped out of uh, working in enough time to rewatch the movie and get excited about our conversation tonight. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, so, and I am doing well. I'm hoping my voice holds up if I'm a little hoarse today <laughs> because I've spent the week working with little children, singing songs and all that stuff. So if my voice goes out, Sorry about that. I do have to make a living. Uh, <laughs> but all right, let's introduce the movie for this week. And I feel like SpongeBob SquarePants. Uh, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. <laughs> we, are about, we are talking about one of my all-time favorite movies, maybe my favorite horror movie. There's only one that really competes with it, but we'll get to that another time. Today, we're talking about 1982's Creep Show. Creep Show. So let's do some background information. Creep Show is a movie. It's a horror anthology, which is one of my favorite uh, favorite subgenres. There's five short segments in the film, so you get five stories. It's kind of a good approach because if one of the stories is bad or even two of them are bad, yeah, it's over pretty quickly. <laughs> but this movie was um, three heavyweights at the time and still big names in the genre you had george romero was the director uh of course the night of the living dead dawn of the dead the basically the father of the zombie genre you had stephen king i think everybody knows who stephen king is you don't have to even be a horror fan and you had tom savini doing the monster and makeup all the special effects stuff and he was already a big name he had worked on dawn of the dead friday the 13th all kinds of films so even by 1982 he was a, a big name so this movie was kind of inspired by the 1950s horror comics uh, another thing that i'm a huge nerd for particularly the ec horror comics like there were three main titles tales from the crypt haunt of fear uh, vault of horror and these were comics that got started yeah, it's hard to say when the first one was, but the very end of the 40s into, but by about 1950, 1951, they really kicked off. They became a huge phenomenon, and for five years, they were everywhere until about the mid-50s. There was a big, what we'll call a moral panic of people thinking, you know, same story we've all heard before, that uh, these comics were somehow bad for children. They're going to turn us all into... Uh, to criminals so there was government pressure there was a senate hearing and the comic industry particularly horror comics were they had to self-censor effectively in order to not be shut down by the government uh move forward to the 80s old censorship yeah yes the same story I mean, in the 80s you had heavy metal uh you know it seems like every few years there's something that's going to 
uh, destroy civilization, right? But moving <laughs> keeps things interesting. Seventies, yeah, seventies <laughs> and eighties. You had uh, people who had grown up reading these comics. Now they're adults and they've become artists. And so you've got guys like George Romero, Stephen King, Tom Savini, and they want to make a tribute to these comics that they love. So they made Creep Show. And with that, the movie is basically, uh, it was very unique because it's like a comic book brought to life. And before this, I can't really think of many examples. So the movie is very colorful, which I love. It's a co colorful horror movie. There's a, it has a comic book sense of humor. Even They even use like comic book panels. It's kind of <laughs> like, did you guys ever see the Ang Lee movie? Hulk, not the Edward Norton one, but the one from 2003. No, the one with Eric Bana. No, I did not see that one. Yeah, yeah, don't don't bother. It's um <laughs> it's 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 really bad. I don't know how you make a movie about a giant green monster boring, but they succeeded. But <laughs> the reason I brought that up was they kind of tried to do that in that movie, but wasn't very successful. But let's get to our first thoughts. Uh, we'll do Mia first. Mia, this was your first time seeing this movie, I think? Yes, it was my first time seeing Creepshow. And I really enjoyed it. I thought it was fun, comedic, and suspenseful. And I love the use of music and the lighting that they did for a lot of the scenes. It was a lot of fun. It took, I think seeing it twice to really enjoy it. I think the first time I was like, it was something very different to what I was used to. So going in to watching the movie, it was not what I expected. Mm -hmm. So it was a little thrown back. But watching it a second time, I really enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely different, right? It's uh, if you if you don't know what you're getting into, you, I could see how you might not know how to react to it because it is so different. Justin, we had actually watched this before, I think several years ago, hadn't we? Correct. Yep. Mm -hmm. Had your, what did you remember about the movie and what did you think about it then? And Yeah. So I remembered the Ted Danson story and um, I re had remembered a scene that we'll get to from the first story. And I had remembered the one with the professors. So I had remembered three of the five, I think. Yeah, they're a lot of fun. I agree with you, feels like a comic brought to life. So even from the beginning, one of the things, uh, as I noticed as I was, uh, we watched it once as Mia mentioned, kind of late at night and tired and then rewatched today, really diving into it. And they do a nice job from the very beginning, even before they bring, you know, when they, are when they have the credits coming in and then kind of bringing it to life visually. I thought they did a fantastic job. The special effects were particularly the ones with the roaches um, towards the end of the movie. Uh, there's some things in this that make you cringe and ugh. And it's fun. There's like, there's some laughter, there's some comedy. There was some laughter in points where I think the intent was, was comedy, but I could actually imagine someone in a breaking down situation like that kind of uh, laughing. So it, is, it even feels kind of appropriate for the creepy moment. And uh, I really like the lighting. Uh, Mia pointed it out early on. And then I had a lot of fun kind of watching how they played with the lighting. And uh, so, yeah, I, I didn't pay attention to hardly any of that the first time. 
just remembered Ted Danson being his goofy Ted Danson self, and um, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, well, one thing you both brought up is this is definitely a horror comedy, for sure. So I think if people, uh, if you don't know that going in, you might be confused, but a lot of this is <laughs> supposed to be funny. Um, it's based yeah. off a comic book, right? So yeah. there are some segments that are more humorous than others, but it's, it's definitely a lot of intentional comedy, so... Ed Harris doing uh, Ed Harris doing whatever that dancing move is, like had me like cracking up. Uh, oh yeah, <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> so, uh, oh, I guess I should say my experience with this movie. Yeah, uh, you've loved this for a long time. Yeah, I don't remember how old I was. I have a general idea. I was probably thirteen to fifteen, somewhere in there. Um, it was pretty early in my horror obsession days uh and i actually remember watching this movie for the first time very clearly because i instantly loved it mm -hmm. from the very beginning the first segment that we'll get into i just thought it was amazing i thought it was hilarious the dialogue is very quotable i wish i remember how i discovered the movie i may have discovered it because i was into zombie movies first and there's a zombie in the first segment so maybe that's how i discovered it or i can't remember exactly the story there but yeah i fell in love with this movie very early and it's been one of my favorites ever since so but let's get into the actual story itself the movie well, one thing about anthology movies is there's always the question of how do you structure them so you come up with three stories five stories and there's got to be some way to tie them together right so usually it's just before actually in the early 70s there was a tales from the crypt anthology almost 10 years before this one and they all just go into a room and they're all being told their stories and it turns out they're all dead and this is how they died so usually that's the there's some kind of twist at the end oh they're all dead or something like that is that the one where they're like on the train and they get in the train room together it's like a train cabin uh, that was, I think that was Dr. Terror's House of Horrors. That's not Tales from the Crypt, but that's another Amicus uh, anthology. So similar format. And that one there, yeah, with the tarot cards. But so close, yeah. very close, Justin. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> but in this one, gold star, did, gold star, gold yeah, star, gold star, very good. Uh, but in this one, the format they use, instead of just five people being told stories, the idea is it's all kind of a comic book coming to life. So it opens with an argument in a suburban household. Tom Atkins, which it's not an 80s horror movie unless Tom Atkins is being a badass, uh, <laughs> is mad because his son, Joe, that's actually Joe Hill, Stephen King's son. Did you guys know mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, me, I looked it up, yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's Stephen King's son. Tom Atkins is mad because his son is reading horror comics, so it's a throwback to that 50s hysteria. And what's he say? He's saying, I don't want my son reading this crap, so they're fighting. And uh, he ends up hitting the kid. And I, I Leaves quite a mark. <laughs> yeah, he's such a good jerk here. And Stephen King was actually really worried. He was telling Tom beforehand, like, are you really going to hit him? And Tom's like, well – yeah, I'm going to hit him, but I'm an actor. I'm a professional. I'm not going to hurt him. <laughs> so it's funny to think of Stephen King in the 80s being all worried about his son. But uh, <laughs> well, what did you guys think about this, uh, this opening segment? To me, I think it captures the mood really quickly. I enjoy the theme. Um, 
I think he played Dirk Dad very well. Um, <laughs> I love them all the memorabilia that you see up against the wall, and you see like the poster of Dracula and everything. And I, I really enjoyed the scene. I did not know that it was Stephen King's son until you know I did some research and looking, but you could totally see it in the face. Definitely looks like Stephen King. And then something at the end of the scene that um, Justin had pointed out, unless they have like really good attention to detail, the kid still had like a red mark on his face. <laughs> yeah. For a dad who's so anti-horror, he seems to have no problem with his son having horror memorabilia all over his room. He's got <laughs> exactly. <laughs> He's got the not the skull. comics. Yeah, but the comics for some reason. I don't know. Maybe Dra Dracula at that point is classic, but the new stuff is scary. What would you think, Justin? Did you like the opening introduction? Yeah, I mean, uh, I feel like those are there's some scenes in there that uh, can relate to small towns um, that we might be familiar with. And uh, <laughs> it, uh, it's kind of funny to watch it play out. Yeah, I like the little boy. Uh, he gets uh, his feelings hurt, but uh, he's he's a fun, fun character. And I like it as kind of like taking the real life uh, background and using that to bring the comic to life uh, as well. It, it kind of gives you more of that effect. But yeah, the acting's good. You really want to, um, uh, I mean, he comes across as, uh, he does a really good job as a jerk, <laughs> as a jerk father for sure. Yeah. I guess we should go ahead and mention that there will be spoilers, as always, in this. And so if you haven't seen the movie, just pause the podcast right now. Go watch it, because you don't want this one spoiled for you, because it's a lot of fun. Uh, but with that, let's see what happens next. So, big fight. The comic book is thrown out. Tom Atkins says, that's why God made fathers, babe. That's why God <laughs> made fathers. Just a great smug line. He's so, like, content with himself after hitting his child and... <laughs> fighting with his wife so he throws the comic book out we look out the window of the kid's room and there's it's never really given the name everybody just calls him the creep floating in the window he's kind of like a skeleton zombie type thing and with that we kind of fade into the comic book world and move into the first story which is called father's day <laughs> but uh so this one yeah we have crazy aunt bedelia uh, was forced to take care of her very, very rich and very, very cruel father. But one day, when uh, on Father's Day, actually, that's the name, during Father's Day, she's trying to make him a cake, and he's impatient and screaming for it. And Aunt Bedelia finally snaps and kills old Nathan. Uh, was it Nathan Grantham? I think it was Nathan his name? Grantham. Yeah, yeah. Nathan mm -hmm. Grantham. Yeah. And seven years later, there's a family reunion. There's a new guy, and he's learning the story. And the father comes back to get his cake. <laughs> so, Justin, you seem to be itching to talk about this one. What did you think about it? Oh, man, I love this. Um, so I like how the scenes, like, first when they, like, bring it into the room where they all are at the beginning of the episode, they're just, like, way overplaying these, like, super – like come into money brats, right? They like nail it. But when uh, <laughs> the, the scenes where the old man Grantham is like harassing Bedelia are just outrageous. <laughs> he's like sitting at his table banging and he's banging just calling on the table, <laughs> yeah. and calling everybody dirty. He's like, you're all a bunch of dirty vultures. Just can't wait to get your hands on my yeah. money. Yeah. 
is particularly cruel to Bedelia, of course. And Bedelia, like, uh, I don't remember who plays Bedelia, but she does a, like, a really good job of, like, being disturbed from the whole thing. But when she's at the, at the graveyard, and then she's, like, just kind of yelling at him and drinking her Jim Bean, the hand just comes straight up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I thought the whole thing was, was, like, was really well done. Yeah, I love everything about this one from, like you said, the opening where they're all just sitting around being snobby rich people, basically. And we learn the background story, and then you have Aunt Bedelia. And like you said, Aunt Bedelia goes to the grave to reminisce like she apparently does every year. But, you know, for a super rich lady, why is she drinking Jim Beam? You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Feels like I mean, you can do better than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean – I don't know. What do super rich people, uh, super rich alcoholics drink? I guess fancy wine. I don't know. But yeah, it was just some... funny to me to see her like just chugging <laughs> a bottle of Jim Bean. But before we get too far ahead, Mia, what did you think about this first segment? I enjoyed the first segment. That's when I first noticed the lighting, you know, um, with the suspense or the foreshadowing. Um, that was a lot of fun. I enjoyed Bedelia smacking her dad with the you know, with the what a what a ash, what is it? An what ashtray, is it? Yeah. an ashtray, yeah, with an ashtray. Which, in my research, I learned it's the only one of the only constants on the episode. So we try to pinpoint uh, where the ashtray would be in each little story. Um, but I really yeah, enjoyed that's right. it. I forgot about that. It it, they, it shows up in every every segment, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But I enjoyed it. It was a lot of fun. I love the ending scene. Um, which, you know, we'll get to, but, you know, it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, there's there's so much. I, the lighting, you guys brought up the lighting, uh, which is one thing I like about this movie I mentioned earlier. It's a colorful horror movie, which is something that's underutilized. There's a lot of reds, a lot of blues, and it, it's very intense. It's very colorful. Again, it's like a comic book. There's lots of, uh, a lot of colors. The zombie looks great when you first see him. He's a great looking mm -hmm. zombie. Let's see here. What else do we have to talk about? Oh yeah, Ed Harris, Ed Harris's yes. dance. And yes. he, go ahead, Justin, take it away. Tell us about Ed oh, Harris's man. dance. I mean, who knew Ed Harris could be so sexy? I had no <laughs> idea. And we get a sexy Ed Harris and a sexy Ted Danson in this movie, which I, I didn't know was coming. Yeah, Ed Harris is like, I mean, he weighs like 95 pounds and um, he's just playing kind of like this kind of dopey character. He's like doing these awkward dancing while they're waiting on the ant to show up and then he goes to look for the ant first right and um just like randomly falls into a grave next to her <laughs> yeah oh there's so much to talk about there so first off i want to talk about the, the ed harris you mentioned some of the names one thing about this movie is uh they had a lot of big name actors and we'll get to them as we go i mean ed harris tom atkins a lot of people but that First of all, I really like that. It's kind of weird. It's not my normal style, but I like that little song they're dancing to. I don't know, <laughs> maybe kind of disco, the Don't Let yeah. Go song. Mm -hmm. yeah, and yeah. for years, I tried to find that song. I didn't know what it was, but it was just some stock song. It's called That's Don't awesome. Let Go. Imagine that. The only thing they say <laughs> in the song, and for years, I never thought to Google the one lyric you heard. I want to point out something. Uh, so that, that scene is very famous. There's actually a Facebook page I want to give a shout out to called Everybody Go Like This Fake Facebook Page. 
It's called the same video of Ed Harris and Creepshow dancing to different songs. <laughs> people like every day they put out um, these really well edited videos of that dancing scene, except to whatever random song. <laughs> it is hilarious. So whoever came up with that, you're a genius. Thank you. You're doing the Lord's work. <laughs> we should probably get to the story a little bit more, but yeah. So uh, the Ed Harris character, he's the uh, he's the husband the new husband of one of the, the rich people and everybody's getting tired of waiting for aunt Bedelia. So he gets sent out to look for her. And while he's looking, or actually I think he goes out to smoke a cigarette. Yeah. Which I don't know why, cause they're all smoking inside anyways, but he falls into the grave and he looks up and the tombstone is starting to like fall towards him. Yeah, and this is kind of a weird moment because you would think, oh, there's a giant tombstone about to follow me. I should get out of the way. But instead, he mm -hmm. just kind of freezes in fear. <laughs> yep. uh, and, of course, he also sees the um, the zombie grand zombie father. So I don't know what was going on there. I think maybe every time he started to move, the tombstone got closer. So he thought if he stayed still, it wouldn't fall. I don't well, know. Well, Aunt Bedelia was there, too. I think um... – he falls back and uh, he sees a tombstone and then Aunt Bedelia comes out of the ground. Yeah, that's right. So he gets hit with a triple whammy or yeah. triple whammy. He falls into an open grave. There's a tombstone going to fall on him. His Aunt Bedelia's corpse is there and you've got the zombie. So <laughs> I guess it makes <laughs> more sense now that he was kind of frozen with fear. Zombie father is, I guess he's a, psych, uh, uh, a psychic zombie. Or a telekinetic yeah. zombie? Telekinetic, yeah. Telekinetic, not, the, not a psychic. Don't get those. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, this, this segment is, it's sort of a classic EC story with a little twist. Um, there's always somebody that's been murdered, and they come back a few years later, always on the anniversary of the death to get revenge. The only difference here is in most of those stories, it was a good person who had been murdered and comes back for a brutal revenge. And this one, he was he's just a jerk from the beginning, and he gets killed for being a jerk, and he comes back to be a jerk some more. So <laughs> it's a little bit off tone. What else is there to say about this segment? Uh, well, well, the cake at the end, I mean. Yeah. Well, we didn't even say what he wants. He, he comes back, and what does oh, yeah. he want other than to kill everybody? Justin, what does he want? cake yeah. he wants uh, his father to stay cake, cake that he, never yeah. he died demanding his cake and he comes back demanding his cake i think those are his only lines where's my cake i want my cake oh i guess you're all vultures yeah and you dirty bitch uh but yeah. you bitch oh, i yeah. guess he does have a few more lines um, <laughs> no more pleasant <laughs> yeah well let's so there's a lot of humor in this one. I think this may be, let me see, this is probably the most humorous because the whole idea of a zombie wandering around trying to get his father's day cake is just a great setup. But uh, so at the end of the segment, we get, he's finally got uh, the, the woman's head on the cake. It zooms in. He says, now I've got my cake. And there's a decapitated head on the cake. And we get everybody's exaggerated screams. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Freeze frame back to comic segment. book. Yep. Yeah. It, then it fades. And I love how they do that. It, the, mm. the camera freezes on the scene and then it dissolves into a comic book page. So that's really cool. Oh, man. Anything else to say? I, 
we've still got four segments to go on, but uh, anything else to say about the Father's Day segment? No. no it, was, okay. it was fun. No. It was fun. I liked the zombie. I thought the zombie was, I uh, agree with you, I thought the zombie was well done and creepy and uh, is much larger and better put together than the old man looked in the shots. Um, so he's like a very large zombie. Um, but uh, I did enjoy the zombie. Yeah, I love this one. When I saw this segment, I was automatically sold on the movie. Just that image of a, a zombie going, oh, I've got my cake with a head on a birthday cake is, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so moving on to the second one. This one is called The Lonesome Death of Jody Verrill, and it stars Stephen King. Did you guys know that was Stephen King when you first saw it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It looks just like him. Yeah. (laughs) And this was Stephen King, early 80s Stephen King, which was uh, uh, not sober Stephen King. I'm not sure exactly when he got sober, but at this point, probably not yet. So he's he's (laughs) a lot of fun. And he's great in this, I think. Um, But the idea is he's sort of like a, a hick living on a rundown farm in the middle of the country, and he finds a meteor. Now that's a meteor. I'd be dipped in shit if that ain't a meteor. Uh, and he <laughs> thinks. Pretty good. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I can I can do kind of a redneck accent pretty well. Um, <laughs> Wherever did you learn? Oh, yeah. Oh goodness. So he finds this meteor, and he's not a very intelligent character. So he thinks. I guess if you find a meteor, that means you're rich. Or two hundred bucks. Two hundred dollars. Yeah. Two hundred dollars, which makes you rich. Uh, oh man. But uh, so he's like, I got a meteor. I'm all my problems are solved. Uh, but unfortunately, the meteor has a side effect. He touches the meteor, and it causes um, it causes him to start growing plants. I don't know. That's the best way to see it. Uh, best way to say it. He starts growing this plant-like material all over yeah. his body, and it starts growing all over the uh, all over the farm. And the episode is really just about him dealing with. I guess his inevitable death. <laughs> yeah. uh, Mia, what did you think about this one? I thought it was funny. I definitely, when you first started seeing it, you're like, oh my gosh, he's so over the top. Yeah. But it's kind of like really endearing <laughs> in a way um, in the, how he acts. And, you know, it's really goofy. It's really interesting. I love that he always goes back to how his family just has this really bad luck, that barrel, you know, curse that they have. That's very and, luck. Always, yeah, very luck. always bad. <laughs> always bad. <laughs> so I enjoyed it. I thought it was funny. You know, it, it was some good humor. It's just really, I, I enjoyed it. I, uh, let's get over to Justin. Justin, your thoughts on it real quick before we take off. Um, meteor shit. Um, meteor shit. Uh, he has <laughs> WWF on the TV. I love yes. there's this there's a scene early on too where the, I guess it's a little bit further along, but the TV's like loud in the background. It's someone posing all these questions about life. And it's at the same time when, uh, um, when Jordy goes outside and he like, He's like seeing some things happening. He's like, no. And I like how they like timed it with some of the things that was going on the television. So it's like some fun details about that. And uh, this is another one where the special effects are just fantastic, I think. I mean, yeah. it's really, really well done. When he burns his fingers, 
and you look at them the first time, it's like, ugh. I mean, it's like all bubbly. And, that to me is the maybe the most one of the most horrific things in the entire movie. Just those little. But yeah, the special effects in this one are great. It's like every time it feels like the stuff is growing in real time because every time the camera moves mm-hmm. he's got more stuff on him the plants are growing more throughout the uh throughout the house and what else there's oh i'm glad you brought up the television because the more you watch that segment the more you realize almost all the dialogue on the television in the background has something to do with what's going on in the scene so that's some um, that's a lot of thought went into that it's pretty good mm-hmm. editing uh Stephen King is just great here. I think, I don't know whose idea it was, whether it was his idea or George Romero's, but they just let him go all in and he's completely over the top. (laughs) He's hilarious. He's very dumb. And he keeps having these fantasies throughout the episode with things, bad things happening to him, but he keeps having these hilarious fantasies. He fantasizes about getting money and then he fantasizes about having to go to the doctor to get his finger chopped off. Then he has the fantasy where it's not clear if he's imagining it or if it's an actual ghost, but his father telling him not to get into the bathtub because that's what the the plant wants. Yeah, man. And the bathtub, by the way, is that not the most appealing looking bathtub you've ever mm-hmm. seen? <laughs> mm-hmm. felt, felt like the, the leaves were calling me too. Yeah. The way they lit that, the bathtub just looks like heaven god's bathtub i don't know but uh did you guys notice that all the uh there's only two actors there's stephen king and all the fantasies are the same actor it's all his dad i didn't catch that i didn't catch that i knew the the first two fantasies where he takes it to the university and he's talking to the uh, i guess professor or director of the university and trying to you know bribe him with the meteorite and then the doctor where he wants to chop off the finger with the cleaver but i didn't realize that that was he played the dad as well yeah i totally missed that it's all the same actor so i don't there's something there i guess in his mind every man is his father i don't know let's not get too freudian about this but uh, (laughs) it is just kind of an interesting little note what else can we say about this one he it ends with the bang yeah, what, that's probably one of the saddest parts of the whole movie is he ends up falling asleep and he wakes up and he is a complete monster. Like, there's he's not human anymore. And he says, grabs a shotgun, he says, please God, let my luck be in just this once. And he blows mm-hmm. his brains out. <laughs> yeah. That's kinda, yeah, it's really dark. Yeah, yeah dark. most of the segment has been very humorous with him chugging vodka and stumbling around and getting upset over his broken meteor apparently a broken meteor is not worth anything <laughs> uh, an entire meteor is worth 200 dollars, but a broken one has no value um, i love how he like pours the meteor juice just right into the ground too like just dumps it out each time before putting yeah. it in his little box <laughs> meteor shit i just never get tired of that <laughs> everything he says in this segment is just just quotable it ends with him blowing his brains out. It gets pretty dark suddenly, huh? One humor moment we missed. He's oh, in the bathroom when the when the uh, oh, yeah. when the bathroom's calling him. He's undressing. He pulls open his pants. He looks down and goes, "Not there." Yeah, <laughs> he's going through like a second puberty, growing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of comedy in this one, but uh, 
And then it ends with, we look outside and the weathermen's, the, the plants are growing, spreading out throwing the, the entire farm. And the weatherman says there's going to be a lot of, a lot of rain and the plants are going to be springing to life. He doesn't know just how much. So, <laughs> all right. Anything else to say about this one? I think at the very end, they have the little signs. And one of the signs is Castle Rock, which is also one of, um, I believe, one of Stephen King's novels. Castle Rock? Or one of the locations, I'm sorry. Not one oh, of the yeah. novels. One of the locations for his novels. Yeah, that sounds right. I'm not sure which one, though. A lot of Stephen King stuff all ties together with the, was it the Dark Tower universe, I think it's called. I haven't read those. I've read a lot of his stuff, but not those. So, yeah, you're probably right about that. Good catch. Justin, anything else to say about uh, the lonesome death of Jody Verrill, Jordy Verrill? No, it's great. Um, it was fun. I enjoyed it. And uh, it, it doesn't, from a storytelling angle, the bang at the end really does go from lighthearted and fun to like then really, really dark and serious. Um, so it gives you, as the viewer, like a whoa, um, which kind of, um, you know, keeps you, keeps you plugged in. Yeah, it's sad because he's an idiot, but he's a lovable idiot. So it's <laughs> sad to see him have to die. I mean, in the first segment, most of the people that die, you don't really care about any of them uh, too much, yeah. but this one is pretty sad. Well, that should take us on to segment three, um, something to tide you over. And I think this may be my favorite one with the exception of the last episode, last segment. This is probably the most horrific. Um, it's a lot there's not much humor in this one. It's more disturbing, a lot more psychological, but we should give a, a little bit of a background on the story. So it's about Richard, Becky, and Harry. Richard is a rich man, and Becky and Harry, Harry is, Becky is Richard's wife, and she has been having an affair with Harry, and the story opens with Richard uh, surprising Harry one morning, and Richard is played by Leslie Nielsen who uh, was mostly he's known great. for comedies. Yeah, he's great mm -hmm. in this. He's mostly known for comedies, but he does a great villain. Uh, he was yeah. also in Surf Ninjas. Anybody remember Surf Ninjas? <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's wow, what a throwback. <laughs> I uh, loved the, the, well, the first one was what, The Three Ninjas? Was that the first one? No, those were separate and, things. It was just that period in the 90s where everything was ninjas and teenagers, uh, so teenage ninjas. So they're, they're separate things, but they do get blended in my mind as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry, I just completely derailed the podcast. <laughs> I remember, I was over. like, I remember that one. The three ninjas. <laughs> yeah. It was oh, great. Goodness. Leslie Nielsen, he's a great actor, and he's in this movie. <laughs> um, <laughs> So Leslie Nielsen, what has he done? He's a super rich guy, and he has found out that Becky and Harry have been having an affair. Da, so he da, tells, da. Um, yeah, he tells Harry, hey, you got to come with me because something really bad is going to happen to Becky. And he makes them uh, bury himself up to his head on the beach, and he's buried both of them on the beach. And the setup is that he's going to film them drown as the tide comes in. It's really really intense and scary because they're buried up to their necks and the water is slowly coming in to drown them. Justin, we'll do you first this time. What did you think about this segment? 
I like this one. Um, I so my exposure to Ted Danson before this was Cheers, and it wasn't oh, too yeah. long. Ted Danson is uh, is Harry. Yeah, yeah. That. Ted Danson's Harry, and so I like Ted Danson. He's kind of a he plays like a lovable, goofy character often. So I I enjoy Ted Danson, um, and uh, uh, Leslie Nielsen. Uh, it was they're fun. They they're fun actors. Um, it was, it also had some, like a couple of moments that I weren't, sh that I wasn't sure whether they were comedic or not, but I found kind of funny. And, um, Blizzard Nelson's laugh when he's doing the like, uh, evil maniac laugh is pretty, pretty spot on. And, uh, there were some parts about it that were like, what, like when he has the, uh, TVs connected up to a VCR, and that means that uh, Harry can see Becky. I, I didn't quite understand how that was playing out in the 80s. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but yeah, I, I thought it was a lot of fun. It was one of my favorite segments. And uh, I thought the level of acting was, was great. And what a terrifying way to die. Um, yeah. I think it's a pretty creative, like, like that's it's on a list of ways to die. That seems about as terrifying uh, as I can think of. Well, with the VCR stuff, there's a shot where he has actually gotten like a few miles of cable. So that's how he's pulled that off. He's drug cable all over the beach and all over his house. Uh, so, so he's, he's got really him yeah. physically connected by cable. Got it. Yeah. yeah, I didn't catch that. I was like, how are you doing this? <laughs> right. Yeah, there's a scene where uh, very briefly you can see he has this huge roll of cable rolling out the back of his Jeep. So he has run cable all across the beach and all over his house just to pull off this plot. So they're both on the beach, and Becky is lower down the beach, so the water's getting to her first. So the idea is that Harry has to watch her drown, and then he has to go through the exact same thing. But uh, Mia, what did you think about this one? So I liked this one. Um, I thought – so. When I think of Leslie Nielsen, I think of like airplane yeah. and the naked gun and not like evil, like just, you know, he does villain very well. He did a great job. I also really love his sweater. Looks really great and comfy. <laughs> <laughs> but I think. But I think <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> he, did, like, a really, <laughs> he did a really great job because. I would not want to be buried in sand and left to die, you know, as the tide was coming in. And like his portrayal villain is just enjoying and replaying and having tapes of, you know, people or just, you know, his wife and Ted Danson's character dying slowly on the beach. You know, it was, it's pretty kind of creepy. And, but I really enjoyed this clip. It was a lot of fun. Um, I love when they, you know, as we roll through the story, when they, you see them again, it's, it's pretty great. I like it. I like seeing him in that type of character and that made that, that clip more enjoyable for me. Well, there's a, uh, this one is more, we talked about the first segment and how it's a revenge story, but it's a little different from the old school format. This one is another revenge story. Uh, well, I guess we should say what happens. This is kind of like two segments in one, one, you have this sort of realistic, gritty murder of these two people, and then at the end, they come back as, I don't know, waterlogged zombies and kill him. So again, we have that revenge story, 
Uh, also, the love triangle was another very common uh, plot element in the uh, in the old horror comics, where somebody's cheating on somebody and they conspire to commit murder. In this case, you have um, uh, an unloving husband, so she goes and finds another man, and they get caught, and he kills both of them, and they come back and get their revenge. So more of the traditional format here. And some uh, beautiful zombies. Some beautiful yeah, zombies. Great. I think yeah. they were both creepy and funny. Uh, the effects were great. They look great. They're scary. I love their voice. Their voice has like a filter on it that makes them sound like they're underwater. Mm-hmm. They're kind of bubbly. Um, so they're very creepy, but they're also kind of funny because they they just keep uh, saying the same things over and over again. Yeah, yeah. Come and, to the beach with us. Yeah. Dig a hole. Uh, Come to the beach with us. And <laughs> Dig I a love, hole. I love the very ending of this where he's buried up. They bury him up to his head, and he just – I'm not going to try and imitate it, but he says um, – I can hold my best breath for a long time. He's completely lost his mind. <laughs> um, so they he does a good-looking terrified, too, when they corner him as they're, yeah. like, getting close, and he's, like, backing away. He looks really terrified. Yeah, he's a great actor. They come to his house, and it's a pretty intense scene. There's a lot of suspense and buildup because you're, like, you're seeing fog, and you're seeing their feet before you actually see them. And... He tries to run from them, which there's a couple things I want to point out about the scene. Just a little bit of nitpicking. Not really <laughs> nitpicking, but some good life advice. If you're ever stuck in your house and you think you have invaders in your house, uh, do not yell threats at them. That gives away your location. It, it, yeah, I don't know. Every Get out movie, of my house, Harry. Get out, yeah. Harry. <laughs> I have a gun. Every movie, people do this when there's an invasion. Someone's like, uh, I'm here. I have a gun. Well, don't, don't tell them where you're at if you don't know where they're at. <laughs> Also, why is it that in movies when people run out of ammo in their gun, they throw the gun at someone? <laughs> yeah. That's another thing that happens all the time. Ah, I'm out of yeah. bullets. I'll throw my, Keep the gun. Maybe find more bullets later. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Just a couple of nitpicks there. But um, <laughs> there was there's some interesting stuff cut out here. The, the scene where he slams the door on their face and then he turns around and they're already behind him. Is a really great scare, but originally what they were going to do was he was going to slam the door and one of their hands would get caught in the door and the hand would come to life and chase after them, kind of like an evil dead type thing. Mm-hmm. And there's some test footage of that, but they weren't happy with how it looked, so they just cut that whole segment out. Uh, but instead, you just get that, that jump scare of him turning around and they're, they're automatically already behind him. So again, teleporting zombies. <laughs> oh wow so i love one thing this that, one it's one of my favorite go ahead justin one of the things that mia noted was that each of the zombies have different you know types of powers it's not uh it's not consistent throughout they have different things that they can or can't do like the zombie from the first one was telekinetic and uh these one these ones were able to transport um so they have like different things that they do mm-hmm. yeah that's right there's no um it's a different they're different monsters right so they're only Mm -hmm. zombies loosely interpreted i also like the fact that um even though they had just died a couple hours they've already been completely turned into water log monsters i know so 
That's a lot of fun. But you also, one of the, I love that. So you also see the ashtray in one of the scenes. But as we were, as I pointed it out, I told Justin, you know, one of the constants that we've had is we've had the living dead on each, a character on each one of the episodes that we've done. Yeah, I guess the second one, uh, the first one is obvious. The second one is uh, his father. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And then the third one, we have these cool water zombies. And I love just talk about the special effects real quick before we move on. One of them gets shot in the head, and you see the bullet hole, and it's just like water pouring out. Yeah, it's yeah. great. Yeah. Some great special effects. Tom Savini, I guess we should mention that Tom, um, special effects guy, he, this was a cool project. This was a, something he really was excited to do because he had been, uh, he'd, earned a reputation as a blood and gore guy um, for Dawn of the Dead, Friday the 13th, all these gore effects. And he was great at that. But what he really wanted to do was monsters and special effects and makeup. And this movie, he gets to do uh, a lot of monsters and a lot of the more fun stuff like in the crate. Well, before we um, end this one, anything else to say about something to tide you over? I think we've covered all of it. No, it's fun. It was a good one. I, yeah. I enjoyed it. It's maybe my favorite. It, it's very tense and it's very cool at the end. So let's move on to part four or segment four, The Crate. This one has Henry. He is a professor, a very mild-mannered man who is married to... Uh, Billy. Billy. Yeah. Billy, who is, I don't use this word a lot, but she is supposed to be a bitch, right? That's her Um, Billy is a bitch. (laughs) And she is played by Adrienne Barbeau, who is another big name, a kind of a horror legend in her her own right. She is, she's very, I guess, emasculating to Billy. She's always embarrassing him in front of his coworkers. And then one night, uh, Henry's friend, Dexter gets a call that there's been a crate found hidden in the university from the mid 1800s. It's labeled as from, was it from Antarctica, I think? Yep. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he gets called over to investigate what's in this crate. They find there's a monster in the crate that has somehow survived for 150 years. Henry gets a bright idea. But before we get into that, uh, Mia, what'd you think about the crate? I really liked it. It's actually... Uh, probably my top favorite one. Yeah. Um, I really love, I know we haven't gotten to it, but the, like, the monster, the buildup. Um, I love the use of the lighting in this one as well. It was just really fun for me. It was in moments kind of like funny, but not trying to be funny. But I, I love all the actors in it. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, the monster is like the best part for me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there, there is some great acting in this. Uh, Adrian Barbeau is great. I don't have his name written down, but the guy who plays Henry does a good job. Yeah. Of being both mild-mannered and eventually kind of snapping. Uh, yeah. Dexter, I think that's Fritz Weaver. His stuff where he's completely having a mental breakdown after seeing it's the monster. really good. Running, yeah. That's great. Uh, Justin, what about you? What did you think about the crate? It was, uh, I echo all that, I guess. Like, I thought the acting was really good. You kind of really get drawn into the moment with them. It was uh, pretty intense at a few uh, few moments. The monster's great. I, I thought it was fun. Yeah, the monster is, 
has been dubbed Fluffy. That's the name of the monster. Fluffy. And <laughs> George Romero, well, Tom Savini did the monster, of course, and George Romero called Tom after the movie was finished and said, Tom, I'm sorry, but um, the way the editing works, you don't get to see you don't get to see Fluffy a lot. I know you worked really hard on him. And Tom said, that's great. That's what's going to make everyone love the monster. The fact that you don't see him makes him more scary. So I think they, they do that perfectly. You just get like these glimpses of him. And every time mm-hmm. you see him, he's done really well. Oh what yeah, I love about this one. I huh? love it. Like the lighting on him when he's just like about to attack, and like it's really great. I I I think the makeup and the effects on the monster was just really cool. It's like my favorite one. Yeah, and we have to give. I'm just gonna go ahead and take a moment to give some a shout out to the cinematographer cinematographers never get enough credit for their role in a movie uh usually the director gets all the credit but the cinematographer deserves so much more credit in this case uh it's a guy called michael gornick so he's the one who's responsible for the atmosphere of and all the colors and the lighting and again this is way well before cgi became commonplace so when you see all that lighting there's actual lights they had to set up and make it work within the camera. There's no filters or anything like that. So good job there. Just wanted to give him a quick shout out. What else do, what have we not said about the crate yet? Oh, Henry's murder fantasies are oh yeah. Throughout the segment, uh, he keeps having these little fantasies of murdering his wife, Wilma. <laughs> and where he's like a hero. I think the first one at the the office for or the um the faculty the party. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone just, claps. Yeah, he just suddenly brings out a gun and goes, Wilma! And he shoots her in the head and everybody like politely golf claps for him. And then it cuts back and you realize he's just been fantasizing and Wilma's still bitching at him. The plot twist here is that when Henry learns about what has happened, Dexter tells him and he, he drugs Dexter to make him pass out. <laughs> so Henry goes, he goes all uh, Walter White this little kind of pushed around man who decides to get some uh, revenge so he concocts this whole story to uh, basically trick Wilma into getting eaten by the monster and uh, <laughs> it's kind of a nice a nice twist there oh what you know there's a uh, are you guys familiar with the Mandela effect it was really everybody was talking about it a couple of years ago on the internet no you guys haven't heard about okay well that's probably healthy that you haven't spent as much time on the internet as me, <laughs> but uh, the Mandela effect is when a person or a lot of people have a clear memory of something that isn't true. Um, so it was mm. named after Nelson Mandela, who a lot of people had a memory of him dying in prison, even though that didn't happen. And so there's a lot of things where people remember. It can be something as small as um, misremembering a movie line, like... Darth Vader never says, Luke, I am your father. He just says, I am your father, things like that. So it's this phenomenon where everybody believes something happened and you have a memory, a false memory. That's all it is. And I had one where despite, you know, almost 20 years of watching this movie, at the end of this segment, they throw Fluffy, they chain him up and they throw him into the lake to get rid of all the evidence of the murders. And I could have sworn that all we see at the end of that segment is his eyes glowing implied that he might break out and then the segment's over 
but he definitely breaks out. You see it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, that is uh, right. That's right. Yeah, he, he definitely, de breaks, he definitely out. breaks out. But sitting down to watch this movie again, I was like, wait, he breaks out at the end? I don't know. <laughs> Just a little aside there. Oh, it it seems like it, it would have been a more typical to like leave you in suspense rather than actually show him break out. So maybe that's yeah. Well, that's it's one. a very uh, it, it's a very short moment. He breaks out really quickly, but yeah, yeah, I don't know how I've gotten that wrong all these years. Well, I think uh, one of the it's a long. It, you're staring at Fluffy's eyes for a bit longer than you see him breaking out. So yeah. at the very end, it's all you see is his gaze. So right. I could see how you can think that. Oh, there was one other line from this when uh, when uh, Henry throws uh, Wilma to the monster and the monster finally comes <laughs> out. He says, just tell it to call you Billy. Billy. <laughs> yeah, because that's one where the first time we see here, she's she's constantly drunk and telling everybody, ah, just call me Billy. Everybody does. So at the end, he, he when he throws her to the monster, he goes, just tell her to, tell her to call you Billy. Uh, he does it like you can tell he like the tried spent all this time he was gonna say something brave, but even in that moment he just kind of whimpers it out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he has a little mental breakdown when he realizes he's finally about to get rid of his wife, and mm -hmm. she's like, "What's so funny?" And there's kind of a um, they trick you, they make you think that he's not gonna be successful because he's like yeah. attacking her and trying to get Fluffy to come out, and it doesn't. And she's like. Well, what do you think this is? The Friday night fights, and she just she continues emasculating him till the very end. She even starts bringing up their sex life. Oh and yeah, she does. Then Fluffy comes out and 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 kills her. So, uh, yeah, I love the crate. It's another classic segment. Um, anything else to say about the crate? Anybody? Justin, do you have anything to say about this one? Because it's about uh, you're a professor, and it's all about a professor and. There's some office politics and all that. Did any of that resonate I have to with say you? at the end, I have to say at the end, the uh, the two professors get away with a murder and just wash their hands of it and uh, and move on. I mean, uh, <laughs> you know, the monster gets out apparently, but uh, they do uh, they don't do the the ethical thing. Um, in the end, they look out for themselves, which maybe. Uh, Maybe that is a, a nice indictment here, on my profession. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I, th I think you've got tenure, so you can probably say whatever you want. But <laughs> yeah, within reason, within, within reason. reason. Um, yeah. But it was, I have been at gatherings or in places where there are, there are people like those characters. And um, so it was, it's kind of fun to see them parodied on screen. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the character of Henry, me and uh, my buddy Trey, you guys know Trey, uh, yeah. we always joke because we had one, we had two teachers that really reminded us that Henry really reminds us of this sort of like mild mannered, broken down, older men, you know, <laughs> who have just been completely destroyed by years of teaching high school. So, <laughs> I think the same uh, thing happens to to college professors <laughs> yeah, i don't think it just happens at high school level. <laughs> but uh, so that's the crate it's another great one uh and then we come to the final segment they're creeping dun, up on dun, dun. you so this one is i would say this is the most famous segment uh when you say creep show people usually remember this segment 
Uh, it's kind of like the um, the lonesome death of Jody Beryl, except instead of plants, it's cockroaches. So <laughs> yeah, is Upson Pratt is a very wealthy businessman. He is sort of locked himself away in this room. He's, I guess, a germaphobe. Mm-hmm. It's an all-white room, very high-tech, very fancy, a penthouse apartment, but he's getting cockroaches, and he's having a complete breakdown over these cockroaches. And we find out he's not just a rich businessman, he's an evil rich businessman. He has bought <laughs> out a corporation, leading one of his rivals to commit suicide. He gets a phone call from the man's wife saying, I hope you die, and he's sort of gloating over the man's death. But throughout the episode, he's having a cockroach problem, and it really becomes a problem. Justin, we'll go over to you first. What did you think? Well, first, let me say, this is probably my least favorite segment. Uh, I've even skipped this one a few times because it's mostly just shock. It's done well, but a a lot of it is just shock. Look at how gross it is, and I've seen it. But uh, what about about you, Justin? What did you think about they're creeping up on you? I thought it was, uh, I thought it was good. It does take a little bit to build, and they're kind of showing their hand early, and then it's it's kind of slow to build after you've seen the other four movies, uh, other four segments. So uh, it does take a few minutes to uh, get into it. One of the things that I thought was pretty so there's a couple really dark moments, uh, of course, in this episode, and uh, the like. Uh, one of the things that stuck with me was that when Pratt is talking to Katzenmeyer's wife. And he's like, oh, by the way, who gave you my private number so I can fire them? Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Katzenmeyer's like, I got it from my, my husband's book, you bastard. And he's like, well, I guess I can't fire him, can I? Oh, yeah. And he was like, ooh, ooh, man, that is gold. Yeah. Um, so I thought that was kind of, uh, I mean, they do a good job of him, be the, him being the, you know, asshole, uh, germaphobe, eccentric guy um and then uh some of the special effects at the end i think were really creepy uh i mean it was the ending it brings it you know the ending saves it i thought it was pretty drawn out some good snark by him but the ending kind of really saves the segment i think yeah before we get too much in too much more into it mia what did you think about this one so this one was definitely my um my least favorite (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Sorry, I didn't warn you guys about this. Before. <laughs> I should have told you not to eat during this segment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely that would my be a least, fair warning. Definitely my least favorite. Um, I think it was a good kind of like um, scene where you it builds up to you really having like satisfaction when the evil guy is done with at the very end. Um, I thought, I thought the effects were great, uh, completely very gross, um, at the very end when they all kind of burst out of his chest. That was pretty interesting. Um, but you know, a lot of the crushing and it was pretty gross with all the cockroaches. Um, but, um, definitely my least favorite. Uh, but one of the things that I read, because I was looking on some background for the story is that they shipped, I think about. 18,000 cockroaches to yes. do that scene and they can't account for all of them. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, but yeah, that was definitely my take on it. It was kind of, ugh, least favorite. So the thing about this segment is 
there are cockroaches everywhere and as it goes there's more and more cockroaches and yes they are real cockroaches again this is before cgi so they had people import uh cockroaches and just pour hundreds or thousands of cockroaches everywhere mm-hmm. so the fact that they're real uh just makes us all more disgusting and yes as mia said apparently they they were told by somebody's job on this movie was to be cockroach wrangler there were i think two guys and that was their job and they said don't worry we'll get all the cockroaches apparently they failed and apparently where they shot this movie they still have uh, a problem with these cockroaches i meant to look up the details on that i didn't get a chance but uh yeah every time you hear about this segment they say yeah those cockroaches are still an invasive species <laughs> yeah because it's a variety of them it's not just you know it's all shapes and sizes it's all oh that's so gross and it really does i mean again like the they're creeping um like the lonesome death episode it's just you're like this can't get worse until the end it's literally like the entire room is just a tidal wave of cockroaches and then you get the big uh the big shock at the end where he's dead on the floor and it looks like they're all gone and they just start bursting out of his body they burst out of his head and out of his chest and there's blood squirting everywhere it's a great effect and it's very disgusting uh i watched some of the behind the scenes stuff last night of the the blu-ray i have of them filming that scene and everybody just goes, oh, and then starts cheering <laughs> after it's done. It's, uh, I think it's yeah. Tom Savini is in the background going, wow, that's beautiful. <laughs> that's amazing. But yeah, so there's not too much to say uh, about this one. It's a big gross out gag segment. Um, a couple of things we can say. Uh, let's see here. Ups and Pratt is the name of the character. I think. I think I read George Romero said that um, the cockroaches are supposed to be like a metaphor for his racism. Uh, and, you know, there's, there is some pretty overt racism in this section. <laughs> yeah, where yeah, no kidding. yeah, there is. The, the uh, what was the guy's job? I guess uh, the hotel uh, maintenance man, I guess. Maintenance mm-hmm. guy is a black man and he's very condescending to him. And he even says, yeah, yeah, he says some racist stuff to him. Mm-hmm. So, the whole segment is kind of like a, a metaphor for his his racism, basically, and it gets him in yeah. the end. So that's when he keeps saying he's been he's been crushing bugs his whole yeah. life, um, and yeah, it definitely has. It's almost like his, and because the racism is so overt, uh, it's almost like the racism comes back and kills him in the end, which is, uh, oof. Yeah, yeah. It's once you know that interpretation, the the segment takes on kind of a, an entire different tone. And I've always been confused because I, I kind of felt that it's implied – it's never explained how this is happening, um, but it's implied that maybe the maintenance man is behind it. Uh, there's two things. One, at the end, he's banging on the door, and he's like, what's the matter? Bug got your tongue? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. – implied that he knows what's going on and there's a very very brief part that i actually only noticed for the first time when i most recently rewatched the movie his house is very high or his apartment is very high tech and you briefly see in the computer uh read out oh what does it say i didn't write it down but it says um 
unauthorized execution or something mm. like that. Mm. That something's been done. So, yeah, I've always wondered what's really, really going on in this whole segment. <laughs> well, and a couple times it leads you to believe that there are no bugs, that it's just in his imagination. Because um, mm. he like squishes one and then there's like nothing on his hand and there's nothing there. So at some point, I, my takeaway was that they weren't real. Um, but then the ending, it's like, does it just carry on in his fantasy or what? But yeah, I, I, at some point in it, I was thinking that they, it was all a hallucination he was having. Well, I, I, that's an interesting interpretation. I think at the end, he's definitely been killed by something. So to me, it seems like maybe there was there was some black magic going on where all these bugs kind of materialized to kill him. And then they're all gone by the end. The entire place, the bugs keep like um, – there's thousands of them, and then they're gone. And at the end, they're all gone even though he's he's dead. So, yeah. The one thing I, like I thought that. it looks like – it sort of looks like he has a heart attack from fear where he's like pulling at his throat when he's like locked in with all the cockroaches. Mm. Um so I thought, so my thought was that it was like he just became overwhelmed in fear, had a heart attack, dies. But then again, right, the final scene is the bugs coming out of his skin. So I don't know yeah. if that's just the continuation of his nightmare, like in his death, or if they were supposed to be real the whole time and somebody was messing with him. Yeah, and there's no true answer, right? They yeah, yeah, didn't, yeah. didn't have one, but uh, it, it's fun that you can at least have something to think about other than just yeah. look how gross it is but uh <laughs> yeah because yeah, it so did the, the gross part well too <laughs> yeah it's definitely i think one of the worst parts is when the bugs are in his cereal and yeah. oh yeah they're in his like his cornflakes and they're also in his uh his smoothie or whatever he opens it up and there's like ground up cockroaches in his <laughs> uh, so not as much to say about this one but uh does anybody have anything else to say before we move to the ending Nope, nope, it was nope. – nope. let's move on. It was gross. Yeah, that's for sure. So um, so then we go back to the wraparound segment, back to the kid from the beginning who was uh, being mistreated by his father. Um, mm. They find his comic book, and one of those guys is actually Tom Savini. One of the garbage men is Tom Savini. And we'll oh, that segment great. again because there's some great comedy with them in the background like – they're just doing a little bit together and they're kind of funny but uh they find his comic book and they see that one of the ads is missing so somebody has sent away for a voodoo doll and then we see um we see dun, the dun, kid. Dun. Yeah. <laughs> we, we see that stephen king's son has a voodoo doll and he's stabbing it to torture his father tom, tom atkins and it's kind of implied that he kills his dad and the yeah. movie ends with that. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, great stuff. Um, so not dark at all. Here, yeah. Well, the whole theme here is people getting revenge, right? Mm-hmm. So, and what does he say at the end? I'll teach you to take away my comic books. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's creep show. Uh, I, yeah, again, I love this movie. I don't, I don't feel I could have talked about this for hours, but um, let's see here. What was everybody's favorite segment? I think we kind of mentioned that. Mine is probably something to tide you over, and my least favorite, I think, is definitely they're creeping up on you for sure. Um, 
Mia, what about you? You, you said your least favorite is they're creeping up on you. Did, did you have a favorite segment? I did. The crate. The crate was definitely my favorite. Oh, okay, good. Definitely good choice. Good choice. What about you, Justin? You have a favorite, least favorite? I really like seeing uh, Ed Harris dancing around, being a being a goofy uh, ninety-five pound balding man. I really yeah. enjoyed the first one, so I'll I'll throw my lot with it. Don't let go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm a sucker. <laughs> I normally don't listen to a lot of pop music. I like rock and metal, but I, I occasionally like cheesy pop songs. <laughs> <laughs> and I do like that, that song. But um, uh, yeah, so that's, that's my, I think I would probably have to say number one for me is mm, something to tide you over. Number two is maybe the first one. Um, then probably... The crate and the lonesome death of Jody Verrill, but all those are flip a coin. And the last, my least favorite is definitely they're creeping up on you. But uh, after this movie, Creep Show kind of kept going. There was a second movie, Creep Show Two, which is not as good. I mean, it's hard to it's hard to recapture that magic. But I do like Creep Show Two. Um, there was eventually there was a movie made called creep show three which had nothing to do with these movies and everyone hates it so uh, but the real <laughs> creep show three is usually thought of as tales from the dark side because you have a lot of the same people back working on it uh, and that's another anthology movie that's great and when oh, i kind of did that backwards they wanted to make a creep show tv series but for whatever legal reasons they made the tales from the dark side tv show which was great and eventually led to the Tales from the Dark Side movie. Uh, what else is going on with Creep Show? Oh, yeah, if you have Shudder, the horror streaming service, Creep Show is back as a TV show. They're two seasons in. It's pretty good, I think. It captures the, the tone and the feel of the original really well. Uh, about a week after you hear this, I'm going to try and do a writing actually about Creep Show, too, so we can look more into that one. And that's Creep Show. It's a classic, man. One of my favorites. Anything else to say about Creep Show before we before we move on? Did we I love it? how much you love anthologies. That's what yeah. I'll say about that. <laughs> yeah. This has been something uh for as long as I can remember you liking horror movies, you liking uh this this one and uh other anthologies and uh I get tired after about the third story, I think. Um so um, but uh, they're a lot of fun, and uh, it was fun to go back and rewatch this one and pick up on some of the more nuance and uh, and learn a lot about it. So thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, I do love Anthology. There's something about this. I've always liked the short story horror format. You know, from the time I was a little mm -hmm. kid, I was reading like uh, scary, spooky short stories, and I still read a lot of short stories. And uh, in film, I like the short story anthologies too. I think. I don't know, maybe it's a touch of ADD, you know, <laughs> you don't have to focus for as, for as long It's a bunch of short stories yeah. instead of a longer one. But yeah, I love them. I've seen a ton of them. There's a lot more I want to get to eventually. Um, we mentioned Tales from the Crypt, 1973 was probably the first adaptation of the EC Horror comics or one of the earlier ones. Yeah, I, I've seen, I could go on about anthology horror movies. For <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. Yeah, I love them. Mia, anything else to say about um, 
creep show before we wrap up here? Um, other than I really enjoyed it. It was definitely a breath of fresh air. Um, I wasn't expecting it, but it was a lot of fun. All right. Well, I think with that, it's time to finish up creep show. It's time to talk about what are we doing next week? Next week is actually Mia's pick again. We're back to her. This was my pick in case anybody couldn't figure that out. Um, Mia, what are we going to be discussing on our next podcast? <laughs> we'll be discussing Rosemary's Baby. Rosemary's Baby. Oh, boy. Rosemary's Baby is one, uh, of course, I've seen it, but I'm not as familiar with it. So it'll be fun to go go look back at that. But all right. We've been going on long enough, I guess. So we'll say goodbye, everybody. Uh, Justin? Justin, Mia, I'll see you next time, okay? See you next time. Looking forward to it, See you buddy. next time. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. Goodbye.